and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I've got this going on in my life. I, I feel so guilty. I just don't feel like I can take another step. And you've come here to church today to see if there's any hope for you. Well, the great news is there is. The Bible says there's no temptation that has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God will not suffer you, but rather he will make, he will, he will make a way for you to be able and then make a way for you to escape. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And we're going to be looking at temptation. We're looking at the seven enemies of our faith. And one of them, of course, is sin. And how do we stay away from sin? Well, we resist temptation. But how do you go about doing that? Well, before we understand how to go about doing that, we've got to understand really the, the theological, if I can put it that way, the theological implications of everything we're talking about when we're talking about temptation. In order to, to get through it, you've got to understand it. You've got to understand how it's developed and what is going on in our life. Now, I preached a, I taught a message a couple of weeks ago, and really I told you I was going to open up the theology book, you might say, and talk about Satan. And maybe you're here this morning, you didn't hear that message, and you think to yourself, how can an intelligent person, an intelligent church, possibly believe in a personal devil? Well, um, Andrew DeBlanco, which is, uh, who is a secular writer, uh, came to the place in his life where he was struggling with evil in the world. And he wrote a book called The Death of Satan. And really how our society has just pushed him aside. And he came to the conclusion of the book, without admitting the fact that there is a personal devil, a Satan, you cannot explain evil and suffering in the world. And so we've looked at that and we understand that Satan is someone who is who was an angel, created an angel of God, and because, and this is the key, of his pride, he wanted to be just like God. He fell from heaven with one-third of the angels, and his goal now is to hurt God. He's bitter. You know, you might say he's been fired. So he's bitter, and he wants to do everything he can to ruin God's creation. And, of course, the crown of the creation of God is mankind. And so he's out to mess up our life and my life and your life as well. And any way he can do it, any kind of cunning way, he can do that. Now, there's three basic things that he does to us, according to the Scripture. Uh, number one, he would accuse us. Maybe that's the main thing. Revelation 12.10 says that he is the accuser of the brethren. And so once we get forgiveness of sin, sometimes we come back, oh, you're just not worthy. You're not worthy. You're, you're just not worth anything. Look what you've done again. You keep going back to the same thing over and over again. And so sometimes in our life, he accuses us. Another thing he does is put false beliefs in our life. We touched on that last couple of weeks. And just the fact that our doctrine, our belief system is going to determine our behavior. So it's very, very important on what we believe. This morning, we touch on the third thing. Is look at the third thing, temptation. Three things, doctrinal and uh, um, Poor correction on, on doctrine, or rather false doctrine. Secondly, accusation, and thirdly, temptation. So, as we look at this, we open to Genesis chapter 3, and God has created man and woman. And now, there's, they're in the Garden of Eden, and they're living a perfect life. And so, why did Eve and Adam get tempted when they were living a perfect life? Well, let's look at it. We want to look at four things this morning. First, we want to look at the description of temptation. Secondly, the development of temptation then thirdly, the devastation of it. And finally, the deliverance of that temptation. Let's look at the description of it in verse 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. 
He said to the woman, didn't, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open, you will You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate and the eyes of both were open. Sin and evil are complicated. You've heard it said, well, the devil made me do it. You know, it wasn't for the devil, I wouldn't have any temptation. No, sin is more complicated. Evil is more complicated than that. You say, well, it's the evil around me. You know, that's the reason I don't want to, you know, I'm I'm leery about sending my kids to certain schools or whatever because they're going to be influenced by those kids who are influenced by other adults in their life. And all of a sudden now I'm kind of out of control. It's the evil in the world. You know, it's the terrorism in the world. Well, no, it's more complicated than that. And then there's the evil within us, which the Bible refers to here. There's evil within us that gives us that desire to do things that we shouldn't be doing. And so it's more, it's sort of like a virus. You know, the doctor said, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you have a virus. You know what he's saying, right? He doesn't know what's wrong with you. He has no clue. And you say, well, can I get an antibiotic shot? How many of you ever asked that question? Man, I've asked that question. I want to get over this thing, you know, whatever's wrong with me. Oh, no, we can't. It won't do any good for the virus. What they're really saying is it's so complicated that we don't know. You're just going to have to live through it. And eventually, you know, you'll get over it. Maybe. And so that's what they believe. So really a good definition of temptation is the enticement to do wrong with a promise of pleasure or satisfaction or fulfillment in our life. Now, the wrong was the fruit. Notice that Satan was saying, he says, now, you know, he comes into the garden and he says, you can't eat of this fruit. And she says, oh, no, you you can eat of all the fruits of the garden except for this one tree. And he says, well, if you eat of that, you know, you're not going to die. You're going to be just like God. So here, what, here we find the bait, the wrong, was disobedience to God. It's not that the fruit was poison, but God put a test. And the test was, are you going to obey me or not? Everything, you can have everything, but there's one thing I'm going to withhold from you as a test to see what's in your heart. And so that was the bait. The promise was, look, you're going to be just like God. You're going to know not only good and evil, but he didn't, he didn't elaborate from there. But you're going to know, you're going to be like God. Now, James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. And once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Notice two words in that, those verses. Number one, you notice the word trial. Secondly, you notice the word tempted. That's amazing to me that James, the writer of this book, James, he used the same Greek word to describe trial as he described um, temptation as well. And the word parosmos says that basically there's a trial, there's a temptation, the same thing. That's the reason some of your, your translations of the Bible says the same word, trial, because they're so interrelated with one another. Every trial is a test. Every test is a temptation. Every trial, most trials, are temptations. 
In other words, you get in a trial, you go through adversity in life, you're always going to be tempted to do something. You may be tempted to, to uh, solve your own problem. You may be tempted to do something in your life that you're going to regret later to make your, your self-esteem and self-worth a little bit better. You may quit. Whatever it is, you just may, may quit. That may be the temptation that's involved. But every trial has a temptation that is built into it. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 8.2, 8, it gives us the reason for these tests. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness. This is in the Old Testament. He said these 40 years. That he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. And so what do we find here in the scripture? The whole idea of temptation really is, is really Satan taking a good thing and enticing you to do something with it that's wrong. For example, there's nothing wrong with food, but there's something wrong with gluttony. There, there's nothing wrong with sex, but there's something wrong with adultery. There's nothing wrong with, with a job. And you've got a job, you've got a career, you've got a calling in life. Nothing wrong with that at all. But it's wrong when it becomes an obsession, when it becomes the thing, the beautiful thing, the wonderful thing in your life that's fulfilling your life. And so what Satan is doing here is he takes a good thing he, and influences it with our imagination. We begin to imagine things until we want it more than we want God. And we can see that even in these temptations. We can see that Eve was tempted and she began to imagine that. She began to play with it in her mind a little bit. And so what happened? She ended up doing that because she wanted to be like God more than she wanted God. Adam was then tested when he was given the fruit. Hey, I'm either going to love Eve and be with her or I'm going to be with God. He chose Eve. There's no way Eve could have stayed in the garden and been with Adam uh, for the rest of eternity with sin in her life. So there was a separation there. Either he went with her or he went with God. He did what he wanted to do. And so... Satan entices us. What's his, what, what is he enticing us with? Basically with self-esteem, with self-worth. Basically what it is. In other words, you, you begin to have a little bit of a, a pity time because things are not maybe working out for you or not working out for me. You're going through an adverse time. You think, wow, you know, if I'm really serving the Lord. If, if God were really a God of love, he wouldn't put me through this thing. And so we get tempted and tempted and tempted. Something comes along that Satan offers and with a promise of fulfilling that. Let me read you a story about Deidre. And uh, it says, <clears throat> she said this, I still can't believe it happened. Basically, I had a good marriage, two great kids. My youngest had just graduated. My husband, Jason, was doing great. He was given special responsibilities at work, and I was proud of him for that. But sometimes it made me feel as though he was married to the job and not me. And I was in the background with the kids gone. I was at my loose ends. I don't know when Darren came into the picture, but suddenly I was aware of his presence in my life. He was interested in every detail about me. And when I entered the room, his face lit up like a sign, welcoming me into his world. I was it was exhilarating. Jason hadn't responded to me that way in years. I've been taught that adultery was wrong, but I rationalized. Doesn't God want me to be happy? Doesn't he want my intimacy needs fulfilled? Maybe he's even providing someone to fill the void. And even worse, she thought, God loves me and will overlook my wrongdoing. Now I see my temptation 
rationalization, and action were just like Eve. I desired, I rationalized, I took the bite, and to this day, I'm still paying for that bite. How I wish I could undo the problems that I've caused. So what has happened? What happened to this lady, Deidre? She began to get into self-pity a little bit. Things aren't like they used to be in our marriage. You know, the kids are gone. You know, I don't want to say woe is me like I'm making fun of her because this is all of us. This is a picture of all of us. Satan comes along and says, hey, here's someone. This time it was someone instead of something. Someone that will feel feel that that self-worth void in your life. Doesn't he make you feel good? Man, his whole whole world has revolved around you. You make his whole world light up, just like your husband used to do. And so we look at that and we say the temptation is going to fulfill my self-esteem. I'm going to feel like somebody if I have an affair with that person. And that's how it works. I'm going to feel like somebody if I get that promotion. I'm really going to be somebody if I can plant that church. I'm really going to be somebody if I can do that ministry. I'm really going to be somebody. And over and over and over again, the, 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 even the good things of life sometimes, sometimes I guess it's kind of bad, but sometimes the good things of life, Satan just entices us to do something. And that sin really becomes what we've said before, the beautiful thing in our life. The sin becomes like, this is fulfilling for me. And in a short term, it is. The Bible even says that sin is pleasurable for a season. And so it becomes a short-term beautiful thing. It's like, oh, this is the way it should be. This is the way it ought to be. And even uh, any, anything, you know, even the job, you know, the promotion. Oh, I got my promotion. Man, let's celebrate. Let's and all of a sudden, the work begins to cave in and in and in. And you begin to lose your family. And wow, I never thought it would go this far. And so Satan begins to work. He says, this is going to bring you the pleasure and fulfillment that you've been longing for in your life. Now, how does that happen? How do we get to that point? Well, let's look at the development of it. I I look back in verses 1 through 6 again, and it says right here that he began, the, the snake came, the serpent came, and began to tempt Eve. He worked through the mind. That's the battlefield. You want to know where ground zero is? You, know, you want to know where the front line of spiritual warfare is? Is right there in your mind. And the weapon that he uses is lies. In fact, his, the word devil means deceiver. He is the father of all liars, Jesus said. And he comes to us with a lie. Now, he comes to her and says, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. He knows that's a lie. And it's a lie probably she's not going to accept, but she will compromise on it maybe. So he doesn't come in with anything good. He doesn't say, well, man, what a, what a great garden you've got here. Yeah, I really like, I bet you like it here. You know, and nothing positive at all, just straight to the criticism, straight to the negative. Just like some of us in our, you know, we, we think about our marriages, and I read something, probably 15, 20 years old now. But basically, psychologists would say we like about 95% of the things about our spouse. It's the 5% that drives us crazy. And it's the 5% that we center on and want to criticize and want to improve somehow as though if that 5% were just improved, it's going to fulfill our life. Again, a trial, a temptation that we're going through. Same thing can happen, you know, to a church. You come in, you don't think about the beautiful music, you don't think about the, the movement of the spirit. No, you, you go maybe to the restroom and say, you know, there's water all over the counter, you know. My goodness, you know. You know, somebody left a cup in my pew. Man, you know, don't they take care of this place? Well, yeah, yeah we've got a great great custodial crew, by the way. 
Let's give them a round of applause, all right? And, um, but it's always, you know, it's always, you know, you know something negative. You know, you, you haven't maybe, maybe you've been going to church for, for months and you finally meet one of the staff people. And the only reason you go over there, you know, you, you talk to them. There's just that, that criticism. And so Satan comes and says, let me criticize God for just a minute. Now, wait a minute. Let me ask you this. Say God created you here in the garden and put all this wonderful fruit, the grapes, the bananas, and the apples, and the oranges, and we can go on. But all this stuff around you, you can't even eat it? God's unfair. Doubt God's word, step number one. Step number two is simply to deny God's word. Look in verse two. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. She says, no, you're, you're not right. We can eat of them all. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, he understands somehow along the line, Eve somehow maybe was going through Adam with a lot of her communication to God. She didn't get the whole message, or she was maybe adding to uh, the, the treachery of God, if I can call it that. The unfairness of God. I mean, here she is maybe in a pity party. Maybe, you know, Adam's off over there. Man, he's just, you know, preoccupied naming all the animals, you know. And, you know, here I am. And, and uh, he's out there under stress, you know, what I call this thing with the big horn and everything. I don't even know what to name that one. And so he's under stress with all his work. And so maybe, maybe in their situation they're not communicating. But she says, oh, you can't even touch it. You see, God's unfair. I can't even touch it. said nothing about touching it. So... There's a denial of God's word here in the next verse when it says, but the serpent said, you shall not surely die. You know, God's lied to you. You're not going to die, but rather, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, it's true they're going to know good and evil, but it's false that they will not know, be like God. But the same temptation that Satan fell for in, in heaven, he's trying to tempt Eve in the same way. Pride. You can be the God of your own life. And God's unfair. God somehow is trying to cheat, or cheat you. And now there's a, a sense of, of a lack of thanksgiving in their heart, in her heart. There's no gratitude for the beautiful garden, for all the fruits that she can eat. Nothing about that. It's just, you know, this has bothered me. I can't, I can't have this. But if I have this, I'll be just like God. There's a denial of God's word. And finally, a replacement of God's word when he said, you will be like God. So. <clears throat> What's the development? Number one, there's preparation in your own heart for temptation. There is a preparation. And that preparation is basically, if I can say it this way, please, self-pity. We think about all the things that we lack in life. What, what, what is hurting us and our self-worth, self-esteem? We may have 95% of the things in the world that we really, really want. That 5%. God, if you would just give me that. There's a self-pity. There's a preparation involved because of not having fellowship with God, and probably fellowship with other believers around you. Then the lie comes. He drops the bait. The lie comes, trial and error. You say, well, how, do, how does Satan know what I'm weak at? Well, he just keeps trying until he hits on something. And that's true of all of our lives. Then the bait comes, the fruit, the promise. And he says in the scripture in James 1.14, for each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. You see, the evil within us is then enticed by Satan 
And his major thing is, look, God is trying to rip you off. He's trying to hold something back. Listen, if you were to eat this fruit right here, you'd be like, God, God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he wants to be God and he wants to be in control and he wants you to serve him and he wants you to worship him. But if you ate this fruit, you'd be the God of your own life. In fact, church is trying to cheat you because if you go to church, you're going to hear something that may convict you of something that you don't want to hear. You just don't want, you don't want to know about that. So you don't need to be going to church. You don't need to be reading the Bible Oh, my goodness, if you read the Bible, there's all kinds of things in there that, that God's going to tell you to do. You don't want to do it. God's trying to cheat you. And so it's revealed in our heart because we say, why not? Why not? And then you yield to the temptation, and it reveals the heart. Adam did what he wanted to do. He wanted, to, he wanted Eve. And you say, well, now look, pastor, it's not true that I do what I want to do. I mean, come on. Uh, I was told at my job that if I didn't lie, I was going to lose my job. What do you expect me to do? It wasn't my fault. It was my boss's fault. It was the boss that God gave me, you know. No, you, you made the choice because you could have said, you know, I'd rather have God than have the job. So we still do what we want to do. And what is going on in our heart will eventually be revealed. I, I shared this story with you. I just throw this out there that um, a pastor was telling a story about his childhood, and he said that um, you know his family was not the best in the world as far as morals and you know things. I mean, his mother really did a good job, took him out of that, took him into church, but the extended family was really rough. And so they, he was at a family reunion, and he and his brother were in the house. And his mom always kept an eye on him around the house, always kept an eye. But she was out on the front porch. She got involved in a conversation. And then <clears throat> somebody came out to her and said, you better get in there. Your uncle so-and-so is drunk, and you know what that means. The uncle had been making lewd comments to the two young boys, didn't know what he was really talking about, but the people around him did. She reached in there, reached in, grabbed both of them by the arms, took them to the car, put them in the car, and before she drove off, she turned around. She said, she looked at us. She said, he said, I'll never forget it. He said, your uncle, that alcohol in his system did not make him do what he did. It revealed his heart and set him free to do what was already in his heart. It always comes out. And so you say, well, okay, but really, most of the time... Why not just go ahead and do it? You know, why not just go ahead and in, indulge yourself? God will forgive and you just move on because of the devastation that, that it could cause. In our passage today in Genesis, we notice everything that he lost. Adam and Eve lost their home. They lost their fellowship with God. They hurt the relationship with one another. Harder work, tough in childbirth, and eventually death happened in their life. We read about it in verse 7. <clears throat> eyes of them were both open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths a symbol the Bible has given us of a separation now between them and God and them and one another and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden but the Lord God called the man out and said hey where are you and he said I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid all of a sudden now instead of close intimate fellowship, his fear in his heart 
because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? Of course, God already knew the answer. The man said, the woman... Yeah, you know what's coming, guys, right? And ladies, the woman that you gave me, God, she gave me the fruit of the tree. And I ate. So, God, it's your fault. It's not the woman's fault. It's your fault because you gave her to. It wasn't for the woman. I would have never eaten the, the fruit. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, oh, it's the serpent that you made, God, more crafty than any other one in the field. He's the one that drug me down. It weren't for you creating that serpent, I would have never fallen. A separation of God, the fig leaves and things they so, show, uh, sewed together, a symbol of their separation and hurt one another. They're blaming one another. Notice in verse 16, the woman was going to be a uh, multiplier of pain in childbirth. Adam, in the following verses, was going to have to work and till the fill with thorns and thistles. And finally, in verse Verse 22, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take up the tree of life, he would live forever and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Sin changes you. Now he knew good and evil. Every trial that you go through changes you and me. I cannot go through a trial in life without it changing me. If I respond poorly, it changes me, my character. If I, try, if I respond positively, it changes my character. I go through a temptation in life. If I yield to it, it changes my character. If I, if, if I conquer that, I'm delivered. I escape it. It changes my character for the positive. And so everything that's happening around us. And so there's consequences morally to the inside of you. I remember um, I was a student in college. A guy came up to me, and um, he was um, really known for the, he was the party guy that I knew more than maybe anybody else. And uh, he was kind of half lit one night, decided to come in, talk to me. And um, he knew, I'd witnessed to him before, shared Christ with him. And so he's sitting there, and he said, <clears throat> Mercer? That's what kind of they call you back in school, you know, by your last name. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. When I get to be about 30 years old, he's about 24 at the time, 23, been wasting his time in college, just keep going on and on and on and on. And he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. When I'm 30 years old, I'm going to get saved. And I said, you know, I don't know whether you are or not because the more you go this direction, the more you're building the character. You just keep building it. Devastating consequences. I wonder when Adam and Eve were packing things up and they were moving out of the garden, beautiful place. I wonder if Eve mumbled to herself, I never meant it to go this far. When in chapter 4 of Genesis, when Cain killed his brother Abel, I wonder if she said, I never thought it would go this far. I wonder if when Adam was holding his dead wife in his hand, in his arms rather, she passed away. I wonder if he ever thought, I never thought it would go this far. And so how do you get escaped? How do you get delivered from temptation? How do you handle it? Last point. Here we find in the scripture, I'm going to look at three things, okay, and then I'm going to close. 
Number one, what we've been talking about, calculate the cost. The devastation that it could cause. Satan never tells you that. He always tells you, look, if you just do this, it's going to fulfill you and, and you deserve it. So go ahead and go for it. Whatever it is, it could be, it could be food, it could be sex, it could be a job, whatever it is. Go for it because this is your beautiful thing. This is what really ignites your life. This is what's going to make it all better. It's what's really on the throne of your life. Go for it. Never tells you the devastation. Let me ask you something. If an went off, fire alarm went off right now in this building, most of you kind of look at one another, and then you look up at me and say, is, is he going to run? If he runs, I'll run. Some of you say, ooh, that's a good excuse. Get to lunch early. Let's go. You know, So out the door you go. But most of you sort of sit around looking at one another. However, if the fire alarm went off and you saw flames coming forth from the baptistry and suddenly the stage caught on fire and then you saw something else in the ceiling go, what would you do? You'd run? Who'd run? No, you would leave the building very slowly and methodically. No, man, you'd be kicking people over, probably running over people. Get out the doors. Why? Because you're scared. So the best thing I can do for you today, just I think most of us, and especially if you don't know Jesus, is to tell you the best thing for you is to calculate the cost of that sin and see the danger, see the devastation, and be scared out of your wits. Just be scared. The Bible says flee youthful lusts. Flee fornication. Flee the devil. He will flee from you. How are you going to do that? You're going to be scared enough to say, I'm not messing with that. Well, that is not the answer. You've got to calculate the cost. The Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. But then, secondly, I want you to think about your preparation. You're going into this, and you've got to be prepared. And you don't need self-pity. Because that, you say, well, I never have self-pity. You know, we all have. That's like saying, I never have pride or I never get scared. We all get scared, right? We all have fear in our life. Otherwise, we would maybe be making the decisions that we make. So we all have those things in our life. So you say, I'm not going to drown in that. So what am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to saturate myself with God's word, the promises of God's word. It's been said that sin will keep you from the Bible, and the Bible will keep you from sin. And the Bible says it this way in Psalm 119. You, your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. This book is like spiritual food for us. How do, you, how do you not get a virus? Or how do you not get sick? The best thing to do is nourish yourself. Prepare yourself. Make yourself strong. You say, well, I just, you know, I just don't like to read. You've got to read. You've got to read the Bible. You really do. And you say, well, I listen to it on on. Uh, you know, CD or whatever, uh, um, you know, I, I listen to it, fine. You, you've got to get the Bible in your system. You know, Jay Strack, a uh, good friend of ours in Leadership University here in Orlando, has said, he said, you're going to be the same person you are today as you are going to be five years from now. Five years from now, you're going to be the same person you are five years from now as you are today. That's how he says it, except for three things. The places that you go, the people that you meet, the books that you read. This book is nourishment. It's the spiritual food of the soul. 
And so as you read it, you understand God better. You understand spiritual warfare better. You understand the promises of God better. Jesus, when he was um, being tempted, he used the word of God to ward off Satan. He just didn't quote the verses. I don't believe that. He lived it. He knew it. And he warded off Satan with the word of God. Lastly, you embrace something more beautiful. Thomas Chalmers wrote a book near the end of the 19th century. And he said this, the only way to break the hold of a beautiful object over the soul is to show it an object more beautiful. So there's maybe the adulterous relationship. There's the food. There's the job. So seductive. That career is so seductive. It's the beautiful thing in your life. How do you get released from that? You show it something more beautiful. How does that happen? I shared with you last week, the moment that you and I receive Jesus into our heart, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says there's the result of that, their fruit. The Bible puts it this way. It's like uh, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, and we bear fruit. How do we bear fruit? Well, in a tree, real tree, sap comes up through the vine, the tree trunk, and out to the branches, and it produces fruit in our life. The sap in this story is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to live inside of our heart and produces this, these results, this fruit in our life. What is it? Galatians 5, where it says the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Say it with me. Love. Say it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle, and self-control. Eight things. Wouldn't you love to have those things in your life? No wonder in a verse right before that, I think verse 16 of that passage, it says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? Because you have something more beautiful. Why should you take that which Satan offers when you have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kind of self-control? In fact, the choice becomes this for you. Okay, God, here's my temptation, and you're playing with it, and you're mulling over it, and you're thinking, okay, what am I willing to sacrifice for this? I'm cal calculating the cost. If nothing else, God, if I do that, I'm going to lose the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Maybe temporarily, but still, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to feel awful about things because I'm losing that which I really need in my life. That beautiful thing that I most need in my life, I'm going to sacrifice that for, for someone. Or something, some temptation that I have, and now you're choosing between really what is ugly for your life that you think was beautiful and something that is truly beautiful in your life. How do you replace it? How, I mean, how do you overcome it? You replace it with something more beautiful. Satan says, because you can't do that job, you're not loved. You're not worth anything. Because you're not loved like you need to be, maybe, by your husband or your wife or your children, you're not worth anything. Because you're in this career and you're not successful, you're just not worth anything. But Jesus said, you are worth something, not because of what you do, but because of what he has done already for you.
he went to the cross. He said, well, I must not be that valuable to God. He's not answering all my prayers. He's not. And we begin to have this little pit of pity party a little bit. I, say, I don't say that in a derogatory way. Again, we all go through it. We begin to pity ourselves. God, you're not doing this. You're not doing that. And all the, all the time, Jesus said, oh, no, you're valuable. Well, how am I valuable? Well, I'd say a pretty good bit. For he died and gave his life for you on the cross. That's your worth. That's your value. Now, can you imagine today walking out of this building set free? What is the one thing in your life that if you were either to take it on or give it up, one thing in your life that would change, that would change your life more than any other thing, what would it be? Somebody here may be saying, well, to give up this person in my life or to give up this thing in my life or to, to, for me to realize that my career is not the only thing, it's not who I am. Or, or maybe somebody would say, well, the, the biggest thing I could do is receive Jesus. Well, that would change my life. You're right. That would be the number one thing. What is it? You can handle that thing today. Today. Imagine if you could walk out of this building, forgiven of everything that you've ever done. Imagine walking out of this building and really on the road, really on the road to conquering that addiction in your life. Imagine a life lived free. Imagine a life that you know your value is in Christ. Imagine a life that you're saying, I, I, I'm giving up this thing for a more beautiful thing in the Lord. Well, that could be you today. It could be you. Let's, let's pray together. As we bow our heads before the Lord, we know that there's great difficulties in the world. Satan's having his way among many people. So let's start today by not giving him his way in your life. There's something here in your life that you're willing to say, God, this is it. This is what's defeating my life. I want to give it up. Show me the more beautiful thing. Show me the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Show me Jesus today. Maybe you'll even commit yourself, I'm going to read the Bible every day. Just open up the word in the New Testament or Psalms, and I'm going to read it. I'm going to get to know God. I want the beautiful thing, God, in my life. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.